Howdy, everyone. It is Ariana Silva, and welcome to the Sweet Tea Series. Today, I am joined by the campaign director of Secure and Sovereign Frontier, Crean Martinez. Welcome to the show, and how are you today? Good. How are you, Ariana? I am doing pretty well. I'm excited for the story that we're going to tell today uh, because you consider yourself to be a Texan, don't you? I am a Texan. And I, I hear a little bit of an accent. Is that East Texas or? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, no, he's like Paris. <laughs> but not Paris, Texas. <laughs> Unfortunately. <quite. laughs> so um, before we get into your backstory and how someone from Paris ended up working at a Texas policy organization, um, I want to talk about a little bit about your role with Secure and Sovereign Frontier, also called SSF. So um, what what is the goal of this campaign? What is your ultimate purpose? So this campaign was creating following two campaigns that already existed, one that focused on immigration reform at the federal level and one that focused on state solutions to uh, secure our southern border, which is currently a mess. And I have the, the, the privilege and opportunity to work with a great team. And our goal is to do research, to find alternative solutions for the state to secure the border and to shine the reality on our partnership with the Mexican state, which... Actually, we don't have one right now because there's a lot of collusion with the cartels that are creating part of the chaos at the border. So what um, what are the kind of policies that have been implemented in the last few years that you think have um, helped either improve immigration or border policy? So there are a few uh laws that have just been signed by the governor that we believe are going to help reining the lawlessness at the border. One is going, to, is going to increase the penalties for smuggling of persons and operation of operating a stash house in Texas. Another is going to give an additional appropriation to build a border security, border infrastructure. Infrastructure? Infrastructure. <laughs> no problem. Um, and uh, the third one, which is the major one, which we think is going to help deter illegal entries, is creating an offense, a state offense for entering the country illegally from a foreign nation and gives the opportunity for local judges to order illegal immigrants to return to the countries from which they entered illegally. Wow. So is the idea behind that to just further enforce federal policy? Uh, it's it's really creating a state offense. Uh, the issue is that a lot of people are crossing illegally between ports of entry. This is dangerous. This they are pushed by the cartels. Uh, those who want to claim asylum can enter through the ports of entry. So the idea is really to deter human smuggling that happens outside of the ports of entry. And right, so, so it's who... to help direct traffic, I guess, to increase or help processing? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And try and stop um, because the cartels are using the migrants to try and overwhelm our law enforcement. And so they push them in one direction. In the meantime, they can enter and bring drugs or criminals in the And use them as where... a distraction. Exactly. Yep. Gotcha. And so now you're in a position where you're helping protect the Texas border but how did you get <laughs> into Texas in the first place and into this line of work? So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story of how someone from Paris <laughs> eventually ends up in the U.S. and in Texas, of all places, defending its borders. So it's a long story. Do you have the time? <laughs> I think we do. That's okay. that's the, the beauty of the podcast. <laughs> so uh, many years ago, I first visited the United States and I was happy to visit the United States because for Europeans, 
the U.S. Whether you like the U.S. or not, it's still the U.S. We have we see that on TV and and everything. But I really fell in love um, when I, I arrived there when I first visited. So I learned more, and I was fascinated by how the country was created, on which principles it was created, and I decided really I should be living there. I should have been born there. Wow. Uh, Wait, how old were you when you first visited? I was around 15. So uh, I didn't decided I wanted to move immediately. But as uh, when I was as I was learning more about the US, I really like developed an interest. I visited a lot of times as a tourist. And I started looking for ways to uh, to immigrate legally. Um, I won't lie, it's not easy. <laughs> uh, and I ended up in 2011 being able to immigrate. Um, and I picked New York City. I love New York City for the energy, for the history. But it was a little too close to France in terms of, of politics, of taxation, of wow. regulations. That wasn't was what I was looking for uh, in America, really. So after two years, I moved to Texas, and that's the best decision I've taken in my life, I think. Well, I'm glad that you're here now. But what were some of those founding principles about America that really caught your eye and caught your attention when you were learning? Well, the country was founded on the respect of individual rights, so it gives the opportunity to anyone to follow their life and uh, be free um, to follow their dreams as long as they respect other people's rights as well. And that's something that was really new, like it, everywhere. It, it's still pretty rare, I would say. In many countries, you still have a government that more or less dictates how you should live, what you should do for a living, um, or, or the, the culture is more in, interventionist or paternalistic, or settle where you start working in one area and, and you do that all your life. It's very different in America. And I think because it's freer, less regulated, especially in Texas, you have more opportunities to try things that you want to do that might be completely different from what you were doing before. So do you think it almost cultivates an entrepreneurial spirit Absolutely, yeah. And we like in France, we have uh, a lot of people have a lot of ideas, but they often move uh, abroad because they're not able to realize them. It's everything is difficult in France. That's something I know Americans kind of romanticize France, but my uh, my issue with France is every life was there was an obstacle every step of the way, and. He, well, here, everyone is going to encourage you to try, knowing that you might fail, but you might try again or try something new. In France, you're going, everything is going to be difficult, so people are going to so try So are the obstacles you. that you're talking about social ones, or is it governmental obstacles, like regulations for starting businesses? or Regulation, taxation, but also the culture is, is like I said, it's more... Why do you want to start something new? You have this degree, so you're supposed to do that and not something else. It's gonna, You're not going to be able to do it. So culturally, it's not much of a... Um, yes, it, it's less... The culture is less entrepreneurial, I would say, than it is in America, and maybe because it's going to be harder for you. That's why I think the people, a lot of entrepreneurs go to the UK or try to go to the United States or at some point where you're going to Hong Kong to uh, be able to follow their dreams. 
Right. So eventually you you see these ideals that you like. You decided to come in 2011, you said, yep. right? So what was that process like? And was it, um, how how was America, I guess, receiving someone as a, as a French person into the country? So um, America is great. Well, I'm going to say that a lot of times. <laughs> but one of the aspects is that um, as long as you're here and you're here to contribute and so you uh, take responsibility for your own life, people really welcome you. There is no issue with your accent. Like I have a very thick accent. Uh, as long as people understand understand me, um, that's never been an issue. It's it's very different in in France. Like I, when I studied at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, I was the research editor, and well, I I got tested to make sure I could do the job. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm not sure, and, and that's me. But I'm not sure it would have been as easy for a foreigner to do a similar job in France. So uh, because they weren't, uh, you were saying like, it's almost like they're trying to keep you in a certain place. And once you start something, so are you saying they just wouldn't be as welcoming to a new? That, and I think the uh, America is more welcoming to immigrants and there's not these, oh, they're gonna correct you where every single step or every single mistake you do, you make. And um, like I said, the accent is, it's not really a problem as long as people understand you. Um, I didn't I didn't have an accent in France, of course, but I didn't <laughs> feel like it was the same relationship toward Right. So if I was trying to speak Fren French in France and learning, would I have a little bit uh, a tougher time with people give me a harder time with it? What do you that, that was my impression, I, at, gotcha. least, at least in Paris. OK, um, so in that. So maybe it's just a Paris thing or it could be all of France. We, yeah. <laughs> so what was the actual technical process for you being able to immigrate into America? So like I said, it was complicated. Uh, I tried. Uh, at some point in my life, I probably knew every single visa that existed because I was <laughs> trying to find a way. Uh, the way I was able to get there, to uh, keep it brief, is uh, there's something called the diversity visa or um, the green card lottery that happens every year. I didn't expect to win. Uh, but I kept playing just in case. So how does the, you call it the lottery visa How or the green card visa, are yeah. the two names? Or how does that work? So every year there are, I think it, it was, maybe it's still 50, 55,000 uh, people's name that are drawn, people who participate. So you fill out a form basic with your basic information, name, address. Uh, you have to have a high school degree, uh, high school diploma or five years of professional experience. And that's about that. If your name is drawn and there are millions of people who play uh, now, especially now that it's on the Internet, it used to be just paper and mail. Mm -hmm. um, if your name is drawn, you can get the green card. So you just have to go through the process of uh, background check and, and uh, health check, making sure you're healthy and you have certain diseases. And then you pay for the visa and basically you get the green card. Like it's not even a, a, a visa that you have to go through a process to get the green card. You have this green card, which is for immigrants, like really the, the success to, to get to the United States and be able to stay. Gotcha. Because otherwise it's usually a limited time visa, yes. right? So green card is like the big, the big thing that you're wanting. So what, um, what did that look like uh, for you? So was everyone 
in the world eligible to be able to join this this visa lottery system or did you have to be from certain countries how does that part work so it's called the diversity visa because it's trying to to bring more diversity to the united states so the principle is that for the <clears throat> the nationalities that are already in the united states uh, th those countries cannot play the people from those countries cannot play so the brits cannot play uh, indians cannot play because they are already a lot so people of from the uk and, and india have a higher example they, they cannot okay. play they cannot enter this lottery because they already we or the us already has a certain number of them immigrating to the us gotcha france never reaches its quota uh, the French don't want to go to the U.S. That's okay. Uh, but that's why I was able to play. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think I, I played at least five, six times. Wow. Uh, like I said, Is I it didn't... once a year that you're able to do yes. it? Okay. And I was looking for other options in the meantime. Like I said, I wasn't expecting, like I don't usually play two lotteries. Why not? And that's how to I try can. it out. Wow. So what do you think about that sort of system that's trying to fill quotas in the United States? I mean, it's it's so it doesn't make much sense to me. I would much prefer uh, having people uh, demonstrate why they want to come and that they will be able to contribute at whatever level. Of course, we want high skilled people right. uh, but any skill really someone who wants to contribute, um, that would be great. This, this, I mean, I, I don't want to criticize too much because that's the way I yes. was able to come. <laughs> but at the same time, it looks a little bit, um, looking for the word, but uh, it, it doesn't make much sense. To try to just fill quotas of, yeah. of people from, yeah, but I am glad that it worked for you to, <laughs> <laughs> to end up here. Um, so... I, it's kind of weird looking at the American immigration system now because a lot of what you're looking at is try to reform um, illegal immigration and prevent that. But um, how is America towards legal immigration? Does it have a clear process or what, what are your thoughts on that process? It's very complicated. It's not it's not currently, I would say, encouraging legal versus illegal immigration. It's a very complicated process. You have to fill certain categories. Uh, we were talking about high skills. So um, if you're working in certain areas, so in France, I was working in marketing and communications. That's something that can easily, a skill that can be found in the US. So I probably would never have been able to be sponsored by an American uh, business because they would have had to look for someone in the US first. I would have had to have like one specific skill. So maybe working for a French company in the US that they would be able to say, we cannot find this skill in the US. So we need to have someone immigrate. Um, so it's it's very complicated. Uh, it's a long process. And uh, so I was very lucky. That's why, I mean, that visa, I, I'm... I don't want to criticize it too much, uh, but at the same time, maybe it means that there's some way we need to reform the system so that the people who do want to come and be respectful of the country and, and who love this country, love immigrants, come here because they love the idea of America, uh, maybe make it easier for them to come and work and contribute. And then you also talked about the receptivity of actual Americans towards people who are immigrants. Um, I think that there's this narrative of 
that the left will say about people who are conservative or on the right that we just hate immigrants. Do you think that that's in any way been the case for you? No, I don't think so. Uh, it just, I, I don't like that uh, because first it puts every, one group in the same basket and like everyone, you always found stupid people in every group. I don't think, conservatives have been like very uh, welcoming and nice. Well, look at that. I started uh, in public policy in a conservative think tank in Texas. Uh, I wasn't doing bad in France. They gave me that opportunity to try. And here I am like 10 years later. Um, no, I have just good things to say about conservatives, really. <laughs> <laughs> and so how long have you been an American citizen now? Since 2019. So wow. that's uh, four years. Well, congratulations on, <laughs> on that. And one thing that's always struck me about you is that you're very proud to consider yourself to be an American. But that's not the case with everyone in America, which has always struck me as a little bit odd, um, especially seeing how many people obviously like do want to move to this country and the, the freedom and the ideals that it represents. So um, I kind of wanted to share with you a research from it's a Pew Research study that was released in 2021. Um, and basically it's saying that people are um, from countries. It's the poll that I have shows the US, the UK, France and Germany. And it shows people who are either proud of being their nationality or um, some another option is often proud and often ashamed And the last category is ashamed. So I'll just tell you about some of the statistics. In Germany, it's 53% of the population is proud to be German. In France, that's 45%. In the UK, it's 41%. And in the US, it's only 39% of people who say that they're proud to be American. Mm -hmm. Does that uh, strike you as an interesting number at all? Yes, I'm a little bit surprised because I've seen, well, the French are proud to be French in a different way that Americans are proud to be American. I think Americans should be very proud to be American because uh, they accomplished or their uh, ancestors and, and they're continuing to accomplish something that is unique in the world. And I've always said that I've, I'd, one uh, on one side, it's a good thing because Americans tend to be critical about themselves. So they introspect and they try to get better at everything. But at the same time, I've always found them to be very harsh against themselves, which sometimes overuse against them. Uh, no, I think Americans should be very proud um, to be Americans. I, I don't have the impression that the French are more proud to be French than, than American. Americans. So one of the other options was often proud and often ashamed. So 50% of, of people that were surveyed said that they were often proud and often ashamed. But then the U.S. still had the highest number of just ashamed at 10%, okay. which is an odd number mm -hmm. to me. Because I guess I could see the mixed bag of saying America has these ideals. I'm proud of those ideals. Mm -hmm. And I'm ashamed of when we don't live up to them. Maybe. Right? Yeah. And I think that, like I said, on on one side, it's, it's a good thing that they're not like we're perfect and we don't have anything to improve. But at the same time, I would just caution that this is being used against America also, and don't be too harsh. Uh, also, re recognize the accomplishments that America has, has, has reached. Right. And I think one of the things that um, America should be proud of is this just a, the idea in itself being called the American dream, mm -hmm. which is something that's very distinct to people thinking of America. And I think especially in early 2000s was still something that was more spoken of. What do you think about that term, the American dream? 
I think, well, like you said, it's it's unique. We don't talk about the European dream or any <laughs> other dream. Some people try to say that, but it's really, that's the first time someone was talking about a specific country's dream. And that's because of the American experiment, something that was really new. And that's something um, still, I think, extraordinary. Even I, who come from a country that is relatively free, I'm not going to claim uh, the contrary, but it's still not as free as the United States. The government is really paternalistic and, and it tells you how you could, should live your life in a lot of ways. And a lot of immigrants from around the world, wherever they come from a country like France or a country like China, because that is really much more oppressive, they come to the United States to take responsibility of their own life. And I think that's the American dream. You want to succeed for yourself and by yourself. Uh, you come here because there are opportunities, because the country is freer, and that's why you get to try and fail and try again. And um, so I think that's a great idea that needs to be explained and that we remember that it's not just we are here and that's the American dream. That's really a process. I'm, I'm saying I'm living my American dream. But I really think of it like as a process. It's not something that is going to be like final. Uh, that's always something that I'm working on. And that's also means respecting other people trying to reach their dreams. Right. I feel like the American dream isn't something that's handed to you is something that you can that you can seek and aspire to um but let's connect the idea of the american dream and how that's relating to your work now so you ended up sending me two different articles about um illegal immigration camps that are located in california and one of them now especially that was focused on in these two articles is located on someone's private property without their permission. And so the news sources uh, that you sent me for from NPR and CNN, which was <laughs> an interesting place to get them, uh, but that also just, just show the, I guess the dire nature that everyone from all sides can realize what's happening. So um, one was updated end of November and the other one in December. So it is a more recent story. And let's just dive into this. I'm going to read some of the excerpts and we can then discuss it more. So both reported that there was um, Border Patrol in, I think it's pronounced Hakumba, California, and they're picking up illegal immigrants and taking up them to these makeshift camps be uh, before they can be processed just because they don't have enough room in the actual centers for processing. Um, so they, of course, they're covering all the inhumane conditions. But then, of course, there's this piece of this is happening on someone's private property. And not just that, the two people who live there and per have own this this land, they're both immigrants themselves, and they came in legally decades prior to this. So here's some of the NPR article. Migrants and volunteers told NPR that every single day, Border Patrol finds hundreds of people who have made their way through the gap, drops them off at these camps and tells them to stay put. They're told that if they leave, they will get deported. And later on, it reads... It's like a revolving door in the middle of California desert. At a distance, an older man wearing a baseball cap watches the whole thing. His name is Jerry Schuster, and he owns this land. They'll be here for three days, destroying my property, he laments. They'll be gone, and then I have to live with the destruction right here. And then CNN tells you a little bit more about the couple, saying, The Schusters have lived in, lived in Hukumba Hot Springs for more than 40 years. Jerry immigrated from former Yugoslavia, and Maria's from Mexico. And one other thing that stood out to me in the article is he just mentions this idea of the American dream and that being 
taken away from him and this lack of respect from private property and the thing that he he tried to accumulate and now pieces or individuals who work for the federal government are um, intervening with that so as someone who works both in uh, this kind of policy in particular and as an immigrant yourself what stood out to you that really shocked me and that's part of uh, what, what I'm passionate about working on this issue and something I discovered and I'm surprised CNN and NPR would I'm, I'm glad they're talking about it, but that's something that we don't hear a lot, and there's a lot of that in Texas too, is how it's impacting local communities of Texans, of Americans. This is like the the role of the, of the government, uh, conservatives believe the role of the government is to protect our individual rights. And the federal government is right now actively doing the opposite. So not respecting the private property of that man in California. We've been seeing in Texas how they go on private land and cut the concertina wire that the state of Texas has put with the agreement of landowners so that it would protect their private property. Wait, what's the kind of wire called again? Is concertina wire? wire? Okay. Yeah. And that's different than razor wire too. Yes. I know yeah. that we've... A the razor wire is, but... is the bad um, type. The concertina wire is not going... It's going to be uncomfortable when you're trying to go through it, but it's not going to harm you very Right, because I think the razor wire, when I was looking at videos, razor wire is like this long and thin and concertina wire is like... Yeah, it, short, it's... Right? Yeah. So um, you have, like, the state of Texas is working with landowners who want the state to build fences on their land because they're having issues with migrants entering, not just migrants, but also coyotes, uh, smugglers, cartel operatives going through their land, stealing stuff sometimes or breaking stuff leaving trash. I've seen that. I, I mean, a, a landowner in Eagle Pass took me and showed me, showed me his ranch. And we see a complete disrespect of private property, which is one of the, the first, one of the first thing people cite when they talk about the American dream, uh, land ownership or home ownership. And the federal government is just not doing much at best or just actively participating in this disrespect. Right. The, so it seems right. like a lot of the problem is usually just the, the disregard for trying to help people uphold their own property rights. And then the even worse situation is like this, where Border Patrol is taking people to this private property actively in California. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And um, I mean, we've we've also been able to produce a couple of videos about what's happening, which I would definitely encourage you all to go watch. There's one where... Um, well, actually, you have multiple where people are talking about um, about immigrants coming up to, or up to their doors at night, and they're roving gangs of men too. Like right. these are actual gang cartel members that are sometimes coming through their private property. And some landowners told us stories where a smuggler or possibly a cartel operative like show so so them and told them for half an hour, get out, get out of our way. And that's their land. We're, we're not talking Mexico here. We're not talking, we're talking American soul. And the federal government isn't doing much or at least is not doing enough to protect. These people should be able to enjoy their land and not be afraid. And not like some of us, some of them told us my nine-year-old son is, is wearing a gun so that he could protect himself just in case. That's not normal in America. That shouldn't be that way. 
Right. And this idea of private property that you're seeing as part of the American dream, is that not something that's as easily achieved in, in other countries? That, Or what about it is, uh, to you, makes it so tied to the American dream? I think, well, that's something that we hear a lot of people... American people who are who were born in America or who immigrate, uh, it seems to be a goal, uh, probably because there's this history of the homesteading and uh, owning land, and which I I think is very much in the culture of uh, on the border. Maybe you can talk about it a little <laughs> bit. Um, but at the same time, you have alongside this dream of owning property the right to own it and for you to be able to enjoy it and exclude people from your property, from your private property, if you'd like to, that is not respected. You, you cannot reach homeownership in a country that does not respect property rights. And that's unfortunately happening now um, on our side of the border. Right. And it's not just one family. It's report after report after report and all up and down the border because I used to hear um since I lived in the Rio Grande Valley right by the border we weren't our land or our properties weren't right next to it but there's um everyone at least has a friend or friend of friend who has had property at the border where they've had stories about um people coming through or like I know one woman who could no longer um have her grandkids over anymore even though she used to have like a play area and trampoline and it just became too dangerous to have them there and that's that's in the valley and the most of the stories that we're covering here at the foundation are going to be in like eagle pass or um yeah del uh del rio so it is just it's crazy hearing that consistency of all across the texas border that's a problem for american uh and, and now we're and property owners the same in california also uh even in california we're talking about right so i guess <laughs> that does show it extends the entire mm. u.s border and as most people say it's there's no such every uh Every state in America is a border state mm -hmm. because it impacts every single one of them. Right now, I think in New York, they're having a lot of issues with, with the amount of um, illegal immigrants. And so now there's like the bus systems are now putting them or taking them to New Jersey instead to, to try to alleviate some of that. Yeah. So it shows it really does expand from all the way to California, all the way over to New York. So obviously there's an issue here. What are some of the policy recommendations that could help alleviate some of these issues? So the main issue right now is that the federal government is encouraging illegal immigration because a lot of people who are coming, uh, who are going through the Mexican cartels, so smuggling, terrible stories, and uh, a lot of bad things happening to them. So it's not really to their benefit either. When they come here, and some do have a claim for asylum, some come because they want to come live in the United States, which I, of course, understand. Uh, but they're going to try and enter through the asylum system. And uh, the federal government right now is really sending the message that if you can arrive, your chances of staying are very high. A lot of Immigrants who have entered, who have come here illegally, have been given a date in court to to adjudicate their asylum claim. Now it's going up to, I think it was 2031 for a day in court. So 2031? Like someone came came into right America now, recently and it won't be until 2031 that they have exactly, a court Exactly. Because there's so many people. Is that longer than some just U.S. visas? Uh. 
probably uh, <laughs> wow. it's uh, um, I don't think we can compare because it's different systems and depending on the visas uh, but yeah it like there's a, a 2.5 million or 3 million uh, case backlog in immigration courts right sorry now. you said 2.5 to 3 million yes cases backlogged for illegal immigration in immigration in the US. courts yes wow so it's gonna take years and in the meantime they're being they're, be, they're able to stay in 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 the US and, and I've seen articles it's not just us saying that in the US I've seen articles in the Mexican uh, press for example saying they had like thousands of people coming from Africa in their cruise that they interviewed people from Africa officials saying well they they got the word that if they were able to cross the US Mexico border they will be able to stay. And that's why now the entire world really is trying to cross from the U.S.-Mexico, through the U.S.-Mexico border with the hope of, of staying. And so this is encouraging illegal immigration, but this is only really benefiting the cartels because the immigrants go through really very bad things. Americans suffer from that, border communities suffer, uh, so one thing would be for the federal government to like stop inciting that. Some of the policies from the previous administration helped a lot, but they were completely stopped with the new administration. Other solutions, of course, are for the state to continue to do what it is doing. Texas has been very like stepped up to protect its border and its citizen. It has to do it because the federal government isn't doing its job, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have the authority to do that. And it's really important that it continues to do that. We're seeing um, there are signs that it is working. For example, the number of migrants uh, that are going entering now through Arizona. Arizona used to be really a state where it was drug trafficking that was going through. Now migrants are going through there. We're seeing Mexican smugglers trying to enter through the northern border, which indicates that what Texas is doing might also be helping because they're trying to enter from somewhere else. Right. Well, I guess that's that's somewhat good news, knowing that, that there's hope and <laughs> light at the end of the tunnel. So with a messed up immigration system, as well as just the lack of care from the federal government, it seems like sometimes um, for border security, among other, um, I guess, flaws in the American system. Why do you think that we should still be proud to be American or even Texan? Well, people try to come here for a reason. I found it always very funny that the same people who hate America and criticize them like support letting everyone enter, uh, that doesn't make sense. Why do you want people to come to a place that is so bad? <laughs> uh, people are trying to come here because life is better here. But life is better because America was founded on certain principles that we need to respect to continue to be able to have those opportunities. And that's a limited government that doesn't intervene too much, that doesn't take responsibility for people's lives and that protects people's rights. So this will continue to be if we continue to respect that. And one way to do that is, is to stop the lawlessness that is currently happening with illegal immigration. Wow. And um, 
let's we always like to end um our episodes on a note of wisdom from our guest um and i'm i kind of want to go back to you coming into america in the first place and deciding to go into policy work and so i'm sure that was a big transition from what you were doing before with marketing so if someone's wanting to make a career change for you as a whole country change where does that courage come from I would say knowing what you want um, and pursuing it and taking responsibility for your life and so taking responsibility for your dream and um, seeking what you need to pursue it and work on it, really. And was there something um, with policy that was a driving factor for you to really want it, to want to pursue it? Yeah, I really wanted to work in public policy. I wasn't doing that in France, but uh, I had decided, when I had decided I, I would move to the United States, I had decided that I would work in, a, I wanted to work in a think tank because I wanted to help continue to preserve the greatness of America and so the principles on which uh, the country was founded. So um, it was a great opportunity to do that in Texas. Uh, because Texas is really, for me at least, it's really representing now what I was looking for in America. Right. And is there, um, do you think that there's something to having passion in, in what you're doing that helps drive you forward? Well, definitely. I think you, you need to love what you're doing. And that's why it's important for you to find what you love. And that might be, there, there are different ways to, for example, help preserve the greatness of the United States. We don't have to work with legislators necessarily. Uh, you can write, you can uh, f um, do movie productions. Uh, find that thing that you love to do and find out how you can do it the best way you can and pursue that dream. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Corrine. Thank you. Uh, for everyone who is watching, uh, we are very glad to be able to have people here at the foundation who are able to speak on a variety of issues. We also bring uh, guests in from outside of the foundation, so definitely check out the work on all different subjects that we have we have covered. I'm excited that we got to have this conversation today, Corrine, and thank you once again for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. And goodbye, everyone. We will see you next Friday.